When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me today on the Janice Dean Podcast. And have I got a holiday treat for you. When you think of Christmas movies, what pops into your head? There's so many good ones, right? I love Elf, The Grinch, Charlie Brown's Christmas, Home Alone, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But my next guest is back with a sequel to one of the most beloved Christmas movies of all time, A Christmas Story. Peter Billingsley was the star of that family favorite, released back in 1983, almost 40 years ago. Back then, it did okay at the box office, but it wasn't until over a decade later when the movie got so popular, it was being aired every hour for 24 hours on Christmas on cable TV. A couple of weeks ago, Peter was on Fox & Friends promoting A Christmas Story Christmas, a movie that's now on HBO Max that reunites all of his buddies 39 years later in the same town his character Ralphie grew up in. He was so kind to everyone here, and when I asked if he could come on my podcast, despite his incredibly busy schedule, he agreed. Before I talked to him, I gathered my boys and my husband to watch the original Christmas story over the weekend to see their reactions. We laughed out loud, and I definitely cried a little bit. It brought me back to when I was growing up, and to see my son seeing a movie that was out when I was about Ralphie's age, well, it was pretty magical. The new movie is also really well done, and so many fun little moments that take you back to the first film, I highly recommend it. It is the number one movie on HBO Max right now, which tells you how much people are enjoying it. I loved my conversation with Peter about the movie and his career so much, and I think you will too. Here he is, the star of A Christmas Story and A Christmas Story Christmas, Peter Billingsley. So this has been a whirlwind for you, right? I mean, Yes, indeed. So tell me, first of all, how the, would you call it a sequel? What would you call this? I think so, yeah. It's certainly not a remake. Um, Would never tread in that territory. But it's definitely a sequel, I think, in the sense that you know, it, it's it's been 39 years. Oh my gosh. Which is amazing. So about, you know, we helped out a little. It's just a little over 30 years. It's 1973 in our film. And Ralphie's grown up. He's a dad. He has kids. Oh. And he's living in Chicago. And really the kind of inciting incident is the passing of his father. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what calls him back home around Christmas time. And he's sort of forced to put on a Christmas for his family like he had growing up. I love it because the first movie was through your eyes as a child, and now it's mm-hmm. through your eyes as an adult. As an adult, that's right. But he has children, and, you know, it was it was important to us because the, the original is one of those, like you, you've probably heard this term in Hollywood, four-quadrant that people throw around, you know, trying to aim for a movie that hits multi-generations. A Christmas Story does and did for whatever reason. And it's even passed on to new generations, which is sort of remarkable because not a lot of movies do that. And, you know, we, it was important for us to have, 
children be a part of this and still have significant stories in it and moments because kids love watching kids. So obviously there's nostalgia for the fans to look back at these characters who they like and see where they are now and relate to the pressures of a parent. But it's also just nice for kids to kind of, as I said, watch watch kids being being kids. Yeah, and that's what the whole first movie was about. I have to tell you, over the weekend, I watched it with my two boys who are 13 and 11, and mm-hmm. it really does hold up, Peter. It really does. They laughed at the appropriate times. Yeah. Uh, you know, both my husband and I enjoyed it. I've seen it over the years, obviously. Uh, I saw it in its entirety probably a couple decades ago. And then to sure. watch it with my boys brought a real new appreciation for it. Yeah, it's... um. I, I hear that a lot and that always makes me happy because, I mean, again, it's like they're getting something out of seeing, I think, the perspective of Ralphie at that time. And you're also getting the nostalgia of remembering, oh, yeah, I remember how tough that was to navigate (laughs) at that age when you're just about to kind of cross over into young adolescence and all the pressures. I always talk about the movie that, yes, it's about a boy who wants an ultimate Christmas present, but it's really kind of a coming of age story. He sort of moves through a gauntlet of interesting things that kind of on the other side, he's forever a changed person. Mm -hmm. What was it like as a young boy, uh, you know, auditioning for something like this? And you were a child actor before you got the role. You were doing commercials when you were really young. Um, You know, what was like, it sounds like you've done okay. You know, we look at child actors through the years and some of them don't do okay. And look at you now. I mean, you know, you're a producer, you are director and you're an actor. Um, You know, what was like that, that growing up and how did you kind of, you know, maintain sort of, um, you know, a sanity? <laughs> I, well, I, I was very lucky in that I had a family who, you're right, you you sort of hear these stories and I think the, the parallel to the child actor kind of not having a great next chapter in their life is a family that was pushing them mm-hmm. into it or that wasn't there. A lot of the kids, the peers that I saw were sort of farmed out to guardians not parent or family members. We had a rule, no matter what I was doing, it was a family member. I have older brothers and sisters and my grandmother or my mother or father, somebody was there with me at all times. And again, I wasn't pushed into it. There was probably a lot of things that I didn't do as a child actor because it didn't work for the family. Mm -hmm. There were other things that we were doing at that time. I grew up in New York City, but then my family moved to Phoenix. So I wasn't even in Los Angeles living. Um, so it was just a much more normal life. You know, I had chores, we had dogs, I had siblings. I was the youngest. I was, you know, fighting for scraps in the family for my own pecking order. (laughs) And so I, I still had a normal life outside of it. And I think getting to do these projects was always presented as, Hey, this is an honor. This is an opportunity. If we're going to do it, you do it right. Or we don't do it at all. Hmm. Did you have fun doing it? Oh, uh, an absolute blast. And that was always the number one headline, which was, because if they didn't expect anything, my parents, I think they got me an agent when I was two and a half, just thinking this could be fun, right? Who knows? It's just before social media branding, uh, you know, all these companies now that, and these ways to monetize, it was just fun. Maybe you do a local commercial and you keep the videotape of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if anything, they were saying, oh, sorry, you can stop. And the headline was, if it's not fun, 
let's just not do it because what, you know, what's the point? Mm -hmm. How did you balance the schooling part of it? You know, doing the, it was all, it was all tutors. It was all, it was very hard to find schools that were supportive of someone traveling. I went to a school in New York city. I think it was for fourth grade called the professional children's school Mm -hmm. that had a good curriculum that they, they sort of built for you to take on the road. They had violinists, you know, kids that maybe traveled, um, dancers, sort of really high achieving kids in the arts. Um, and that was fine. But then we moved out of New York. So and I tried, I tried numerous times to connect with the school, but they just kind of wasn't built. But now I hear, you know, when I'm on set and I check in with the young kids, it's amazing because they all go online. Wow. Um, and they've got their studies and they can even quickly zoom in and check in with their teacher. So, I mean, it was very hard. I got left back in eighth grade. Um, so it was like, just because I wasn't there. Right. And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne. Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Now, tell me about the experience. We watched the movie, and I was in awe of your ability to really cry. Did you really cry? I mean, you weren't, I was amazed. (laughs) I was amazed because, you know, you watch kids uh, cry and you can kind of tell, mm. but you really look like you were crying. I was like shedding a tear as a tear as a mom oh, watching yeah, you. For sure. Yeah, no, you kind of get into it. I mean, you have to, that's sort of the job, right? Um, you got to kind of get to that place. I mean, I think we all have our tips and tricks for getting there. Um, in the sequel, the girl who plays my daughter, Juliana, I mean, my trick was I would generally have to kind of step to the side and they would get the set a little quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get into that state of mind and then would walk into frame and they would just quietly start rolling and shooting. Mm. The worst one is when the top of the scene is you're happy, then you get bad news in the middle of the scene and then you have to start crying because you don't have time to prepare on the side. Uh, such was the case in a scene in the sequel. And Juliana, I mean, it's I, I didn't have that gear. She just can burst into tears at, kind of the drop of a hat. Wow. And it's just, it's really an incredible gift. Mm-hmm. So when you're filming this movie and do you think that this is special or when did that, I mean, you know, the trajectory was it was released and people watched it, but it was only when it was started to get play on, was it TBS that it became this gigantic explosion? Yeah, it was, it came out in 83, was, you know, did fine, did like, okay, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then it was before video and cable. So movies just didn't have a huge shelf life mm-hmm. and there was no expectations. And so as the technology changed and cable came into our homes and people needed product, this title just kept coming around, around, around again. And I was in a video store. I remember even before the marathon, I think in the early nineties, just there to rent a movie. And I, came around one of the shelves and saw a cardboard cutout standee of me. (laughs) 
like holding the BB gun. And I thought, what is this doing here? And it's been 15 years. <laughs> I talked to the clerk and he's like, oh yeah, people are really renting this thing. They love it. Um, so it just was finding a life. Yeah. There is something very special that you can't even put into words when you watch it. It gets you into the Christmas spirit. Yeah, I think you're right. A hundred percent. And it, it, it's, it's, it's sort of oddly become comfort food on yes. Christmas day now because people play it in the background. I mean, it, I've studied the movie a lot. I produced the musical for a Christmas story many years ago that we took to Broadway. And obviously the sequel are really the only two things that I've ever done with the franchise. And in both instances really kind of consumed the movie from a lot of angles and really studied a lot of aspects of it. Um, and so I'm familiar with it. I've watched it a lot, not because I like watching me, but just to kind of get underneath it. Mm -hmm. And still to this day in our house, like I'll turn it on. It's just when you hear the narration and some of the voices, it feels like, oh, it must be Christmas Day. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. And when you watch it, do you go back into your 11-year-old self? How does that work? How does it, how is it to see yourself, uh, you know, at this age can you go back and go, oh, yeah, I remember what I was feeling? Definitely, because, I, I mean, less of a stuff maybe if you're six or seven, but I had the benefit of being older, so those memories are supplanted. I remember very fondly the experience, for sure. But you can, you know, like any good movie, you can still kind of get caught up in the moments of it, which is mm. what's great. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I think, a testament to the quality of the filmmaking that the filmmakers were able to pull off. Um, but I definitely remember fondly collaborations with the director, Bob Clark. Um, I mean, it was a it was a special movie in the sense that nobody wanted to make it. It took him 12 years to get made. The director oh, wow. had to throw his salary in. I mean, this was um, this was such a you hear the term, say, passion project. I mean, mm -hmm. these guys were devoted to getting this made one way or another. And they just didn't have any support along the way. And it wasn't until the director directed a movie called Porky's, which was kind of a popular sort of, you know, almost skin flicky kind of rated R. I remember. High school movie, right? Yeah. That he got at least that financial notoriety and got a little more leverage. And it helped him um, because it's was a weird. It's, it's weird. I reread in preparation for the sequel. I actually reread the original screenplay. Hmm. And it's um, it's a great read, but it's sort of a tough read compared to other scripts because there's these just mountains of voiceover, like full pages in a screenplay. Yeah. And so especially what we're all very accustomed now to pace and yeah, movement and story momentum. I, it's I it, I really dawned on me like, man, I could see if if I put my studio executive hat on and read this. Yeah. It's like, do you want to finance it? I would think, no, probably not. I can't, you know, maybe it's great, but I'm not willing to take that leap. And I think that's what they were up against, even though they knew and believed that they had something special. The voiceover is so important, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's signature. It had really never been done in that style before. I had spoken to the guys who created The Wonder Years, which was a series that... I think wisely captured that same, you know, that was, I think in the sixties and it was, it was an adult looking back on growing up at that time. And they had said, you know, God, yeah, we were shocked. No one's done it. So we we're like, well, let's do a TV show like this. 
it's so it's such an effective way to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And so you knew right away when you were going to do the sequel that you were going to do, do the voiceover. No, I didn't. Oh, actually. So Gene Shepard, who had written the source material, had a radio show back in the day, WOR, did the voiceover of on the original movie. Gene's passed away. So we we had sort of a a, a problem that we had to solve. And originally we thought, well, let's kind of get like a sort of Gene Shepard sound-alike mm-hmm. kind of person, because there's really obviously a lot of talent in the voiceover world. Um, and we we started down that road. But I think what it felt ultimately like was it was not personal. Mm-hmm. And it felt sort of disconnected. And it was really at, you know, and to their credit, I think the pushing of Warner Brothers and Legendary the studio and our production company that said, you really need to do it. And I'll, I would say of all aspects of the movie, there's no doubt I was wanted to get it right. You know, we know how good the movie is. And so we worked very hard on the script and casting in every aspect. Doing the voiceover was probably the most intimidating for me because the bar is so high. I had such great reverence and respect for Gene Shepard. Mm-hmm. So it was, it took a minute to get my head around. It was ultimately completely the right choice because in the original, it feels like it is a grown up Ralphie telling his own story. Yeah. And in this one, it feels like it's Ralphie telling his own story. Oh, I love that story. I love that it wasn't originally thought of. No. And it was, I think I was, you know, deep down, though not admitting it, resistant mm. just because it was sort of such a high bar. I was like, how am I going to do this? One cool thing we did, our sound, our sound engineers um, researched the um, the microphone that Gene Shepard used originally for the recording and found it. <gasps> and so we used that to try to capture some of the same quality. The same microphone. Yeah. So found, you know, the same brand. This is a very old microphone. They still exist. Um, and was able to source that. And we, you know, through a lot of great work from our director, Clay Cadis and, and sound team, we did a lot of interesting things with it and used two separate microphones. We added a slight bit of bass. So I felt just a shade older mm-hmm. and they put it a little more in the center channel instead of on the sides. Like a, we put a lot of thought into wanting to get it right. What kind of microphone, if you don't mind me asking? It's a good question. I'll I'll, I'll have to find out. <laughs> okay, because I'm a connoisseur. Like I, uh, you know, my husband, uh, for my birthday a few years ago, because I've been doing radio for many years now, and for my birthday, he got like an original uh, Seinhauser, I guess that's, is that how you say the yeah, word? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and it sits on my desk, and I, and the other day, I actually plugged it in to see if it worked, and it was, it did, it was beautiful, so I, that's just for my own purposes, I would love to know what kind of microphone it was. Well, it, it's true, like, they don't make things like they used to, <laughs> it's yeah. just, it was so well built, and I think just had a little more of that analog quality, Yes, you know, like, I mean, just the original movie feels more like a phonograph record than something that you could download just in its, you know, there's a texture to it Mm -hmm. that, that feels palpable. Um, And so we very much wanted to try to replicate that. And, and, and even in the look and the color space from the photography of the movie, um, 
you know, it, it, it feels you, you really, it's really hard to shoot on film anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, studios just really won't support it. And, uh, so if you're going to be in digital, you, there's stuff you can do to try to still make it feel like you're there. And I, I'm really still kind of amazed at, um, Matthew Clark, our cinematographer, what he really pulled off in terms of getting that feel of the 70s. Oh, yeah. It does look like the 70s. Absolutely. Now, you have, I think, all of the original actors, right, except for the mom and obviously the dad, uh, the old man, because we we lost him a few years ago. But mm -hmm. your buddies, all your buddies are there. What was that like? Uh, it was awesome. <laughs> um, it was so great having everybody back together. It was the first time, really, we had all been together, I, I think, since we did the movie. You know, wow. we've individually seen each other in pockets over the years. And I remember we were finishing construction on all the houses. Uh, we built 11 of them to really feel like to recreate the old Cleveland Street. Mm. And um, we were finishing them and we were putting like the last coat of paint on the last house. And I had a moment where I kind of looked around and felt like I was transformed back in time. Oh. Uh, and I called the guys and they were at the hotel and I said, you got to get down here right now. And they did. And everybody had sort of that goosebump feeling like you're really back in the world. And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why did it take so long? I, I think a variety of reasons. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to get it wrong. Of I course. didn't necessarily have a strong interest in doing it. Then I think as I was making a lot of films and um, having success in making other movies, um, my curiosity kind of grew a little bit more. Um, and this one we've been working on actively developing for, I think, just under four years. So it, it's, you know, we wanted to take some time to really get it right. And I just wasn't going to commit unless I felt like we kind of had the right sense tone was the big word that we used mm. you know it's got such an interesting tone the original movie it's um it's wild it's like it, you know i think so many of the reasons why the movie didn't get made are the reasons why it's very successful um because it's different it's unique um and so there was a lot of the things we wanted to recapture we also optioned a lot of this the original movie is based on a series of short stories by Gene Shepard. We optioned a bunch more of his short stories so we could have the words. It's all about getting the right pieces in place. And you're, and you're proud of it. Very much. I mean, knowing how kind of high the bar is and, and where it is, the response has been really tremendous since November 17th. We've been the number one movie on HBO max. Wow. Um, critics have really enjoyed the movie and, you know, fans are, feeling as though it's such a very worthy can it was always sort of designed as a puzzle piece i described it just to sort of fit in with the original mm -hmm. you know where 
this movie ends is sort of where the original begins. It's this movie is really the sequels and origin story for a Christmas story. And so I think what fans really respond to in this is just that sense of nostalgia. And I think, as you said, it's that shift of we love Ralphie as a kid navigating kid problems. Now there's a big relatability, especially for parents of that pressure of, you know, wanting to get Christmas right as a kid, all you want is the perfect Christmas gift. But as a parent, you want Christmas to be perfect oh, for your kids. It's, and that's the big shift, you know, and yep. that's his new gauntlet. <laughs> yeah. And I heard you talk, you know, actually, I read a review where the guy who reviewed it was very honest and said when the Christmas story first came out and he saw it, he didn't like it, but he actually yeah. really enjoyed this one. Yeah, it's it, a, a couple well-known reviewers did some U-turn reviews years later. They kind of did not like the original when it came out. It's weird. It's sort of, I guess it grew on them. Yeah. Um, and I've heard some people say the same thing, like, ah, I kind of like the original, but some people like this better. Of course, a lot of people are saying you'll never live up to the original, but we knew that, you know, obviously we're not, you know, that movie is, I think it's in the Library of Congress. It's on borderline sacred territory for many fans, but that can't be... You can't be so intimidated that you get paralyzed to not try. You just have to, you know, dig a little deeper to make sure you kind of get things right and tell your own story. And that's that's what this is. But there's a lot of familiar elements with it um, in the kid cast. And just, you know, I love that idea of going home. And as you go home, you step through just, you know, you're kind of forced to relive memories and experiences. And especially with the passing of his old man, it's kind of him stepping into the patriarchy and, you know, kind of taking the torch of the family. Mm, I love it. You know, we have to talk about your other amazing projects. My kids were in awe that you were a big part of Iron Man. Mm-hmm. How did that yeah, come about? I, I started working, well, I become good friends with Vince Vaughn in 1989, and he was just an actor who had moved down from Chicago. And we started a really great friendship. And, you know, we've been business partners now for over 20 odd years mm. and have made a lot of movies together and um, met John Favreau through him and then started doing a lot of stuff with John, producing some early films uh, with him and Vince and some television shows. And then, you know, he had gotten this job to, uh, direct Iron Man and called and said, you know, it, it was an end of, it was such a strange, I mean, all this stuff that turns out to be something, you know, kind of massive really often starts as chaotic, and like nobody believes in it and way off the radar. Oh, I love um, And this was the case there. I think it's still the largest independent movie ever made because Marvel funded the movie when they were, they didn't have rights to necessarily all their other movies. Sony had Spider-Man, I think Fox had Hulk due to these long-standing deals. So they wanted to create a sense of independence. And so they were going to start with Iron Man. And um, there was definitely some people feeling like, oh, what are you doing? You know, Iron Man, no one's heard of that. Nobody cares. Um, and so John was pretty committed and had a great vision for the movie, as did Marvel, obviously. But And there were some plans to build out a universe. So it was, I mean, it was a struggle just trying to, you know, make a interesting, great movie. And there was pressure on it in the sense that you kind of knew that if it didn't work out, Marvel was just going to sort of stay making toys to support the other movies that they had given licenses up for. But if it 
was successful, it could potentially launch other movies. They were throwing around the term universe, but I don't think, well, I can guarantee you nobody imagined the size and scope of the universe that it's become today. Mm. And then, of course, Elf, one of our favorite classic Christmas music, uh, music, uh, not music, but it was a musical, wasn't it? At one point, did was there a musical Elf? I'm not sure, but I a loved, musical Elf. Yeah, I thought there was a musical, but maybe I'm wrong. There was, yeah, no, I remember there was. I don't know if it's still around. Okay, but I remember seeing a marquee in time in Times Square for it. But Elf also kind of has that uh, when you click through the channels, you can't stop watching Elf. It's on the same sort of totally level true. as yeah. a Christmas story. It is. It's definitely one of those movies when you click it, you're like, uh, no, no, I can't turn it off. <laughs> and you're kind of stuck for a minute. <laughs> and how did you get involved with that? John asked me to play a part in it. Oh. Um, and he just said, you know, come do a little thing. And I said, fine. I said, I'm, I'll do it, but I'm not going to take credit. So I'm not in the credits. Um, and I just wanted people to sort of oh. discover because I have a beard, like my voice is high, I'm shrunken down <laughs> to nothing. So it's I'm a little bit in disguise. And it's more fun to see people's reaction and kind of connecting the dots. Oh, I love it. And you've been so gracious with your time. Uh, I, I'm just... I'm honored to to meet you, and and you really are a really nice person. You know, sometimes I'm just going to say, like, you never know how the actors are going to be sometimes, but you came on Fox and Friends a couple of weeks ago, and you were yeah, very, for sure. You were very kind, uh, and 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 I appreciate that, and I know our listeners appreciate that. We have to talk uh, about I appreciate the uh, support. Yeah, how great a success uh, a Christmas Story Christmas is. You can see it on HBO Max. It's number one. You said. Yeah, it's been a, it's been the number one movie on the platform since November seventeenth, which is kind of great, and it's going to start expanding out. So it's it's finding a really huge audience, which has been fun. And um, you know, I'm also taking a little leap into your into what you're doing here. I've yes. started a podcast. Tell me and about profiling. that. It's called a Cinematic Christmas Journey. We partnered with Walmart and Spotify, and we're profiling Christmas movies. Um, like, and just um, I'm co-hosting with Nick Shank, who we wrote the story for Christmas Story Christmas. Um, and it's just getting underneath these movies with the filmmakers and a lot of the stars and and really kind of helping audiences understand why they resonate and just revealing some aspects of the filmmaking and kind of celebrating these films that have really touched our lives. I feel now more than ever, we need that Christmas magic. I agree with you. That's, you know, uh, another thing I've noticed a lot of people saying about the sequel is just, thanks for doing this. We needed it. Yeah. Um, like just a little reliving of kind of, I think I would say getting outside of the noise, you know, you can flip all over television, newspapers online. There's a lot of noise in the world about a lot of things. And it, it, it can just keep us sometimes off balance. And I think I love movies where you can just immerse. They're not about anything, but kind of a great story or a great theme. This is just a movie about family trying to have a great Christmas and you can escape. And I, I love it when movies truly give you the opportunity to do that um, and just let you dive in and forget it, yet remember your own great thoughts and feelings growing up. So um, it's, it's, it's been nice, I think, to put that out in the world and 
and see people find that and connect to it on that level. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you as a mom for, you know, reuniting my two boys and my husband in the living room to watch your Good, film. There you go, for family, <laughs> for family movie night. Exactly. It's hard. Well, you got teenagers, so they want to go. <laughs> you want to go left. They want to go right. Yeah. Well, but just something as simple as that to, you know, have my family together for an hour and a half to watch Ralphie uh, and his family on Christmas. It was really special. And and what a pleasure to talk to you, Peter. I hope I get to see you in person and uh, all the best and all the success. Thank you, Janice. You really... Same to you. Oh, hang on. I've got some breaking news. I, oh. texted, the, I texted the director while we were on. <gasps> Um, so it's called a Newman spelled N-E-U-M-A-N, but I think pronounced Neumann. Yes. It's the Neumann 67. <gasps> now he's going to confirm with our sound department. Um, I'll have my office reach out to you guys <laughs> if it's different, but See, it's the Neumann 67. I'm going to, I'm going to put that on my list for Santa this year. There you go. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. I don't know if I'll get I, it. I love it. But you never know. Uh, Peter, Peter Billingsley, you're a pleasure. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas, my friend, and all the Merry best. Christmas to you, too. Thank you, Janice. Appreciate it. Uh, take care. Thank you, Peter, so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us on the Janice Dean Podcast and for finding out the name of that incredible microphone used for the iconic voiceover in A Christmas Story and now A Christmas Story Christmas. Like Ralphie's BB gun, I'm hoping for one of those from Santa or maybe one like it. At least I won't shoot my eye out. Thanks for listening. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.